Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostic industry. I'm Amanda Peterson, news editor at MDDI, and I'm pleased to introduce today's guest, John Spurzel. John is the CEO of T2 Biosystems and the author of the recently published book called Courage, Powerful Lessons in Leadership, Strength, and the Will to Succeed. I would probably describe it as part memoir and part lessons in life. So the first half is my story with some emphasis on my medical journey. And the second half are these, what I would call principles for success. And what inspired me to share it? Personal stories can often be difficult to share. And the first year after my heart transplant, I pretty much kept the story to friends and colleagues. And I also decided to share it at an event with the American Heart Association. It was a fundraiser that they held on Long Island in New York. And I would say that event was a turning point for me. I got to see firsthand the impact that my story had on people. I literally saw people in the audience crying as I told the story. And I saw how people could benefit from the messages that were hidden within inside my personal journey. And I also saw how telling it could potentially serve as a platform to do things that were really important to me, which was raise awareness about the importance of organ donation and raise awareness about the risk of sepsis. I think it's really interesting that um, not only is your story inspiring from a personal standpoint, and obviously has um, you've been able to to touch people with it, um, but it's also uh, from the sounds of it influenced your career path. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about your experience with um, how how your experience with sepsis influenced your career path. They're inextricably linked. I have spent thirty years in healthcare. And quite honestly, when I came back to work after my heart transplant, people would ask me, why are you going back to work so soon? And with a smile on my face, I could honestly say, because I literally love what I do. I mean, I really love this business. And I've had the good fortune and the pleasure of leading global teams around the world. I, I built and led high-performance teams. I've acquired companies on almost every continent. My teams have developed products to address some of the world's greatest healthcare threats, like HIV, Ebola, Zika, and now COVID-19. And so I've always loved this space. And before I had my heart transplant, I made two promises. And these are literally why I was lying on my back in the intensive care unit. First, I promised myself that if I survived, I would pay it forward by doing something meaningful in honor of my heart donor. And I knew nothing about that person at that time. I since have come to learn a great deal about him. And second, I promised my cardiac surgeon, and I say this a little bit tongue in cheek, that if he saved my life, I would do something to make him proud. And I can say at that moment, I really didn't know exactly what I would do to deliver on either one of those promises. But it didn't take me too long to figure it out. A whole lot of people have said to me, John, I literally can't believe that happened to you. 
And I look at it completely different. I don't think that giant cell myocarditis and a heart transplant and multi-drug resistant bacterial infections happened to me. I actually think they happened for me. And that's really the trick in the whole thing. One of the greatest gifts that adversity can give us is the hidden gift of true purpose. And I think this really gets to the heart of your question. My experience gave me clarity of vision and more importantly, purpose. So my passion for advancing these life-saving technologies literally intersected with and became my purpose. Wow. Yeah, that's um, that's really incredible. And I, and I just... Um, something that's really good. I, I know already it's going to stick with me long after this conversation is uh, what you said about um, not happening to you, but happening for you. And um, I can certainly relate to that from experiences I've had, but I, I think that's a really powerful message. I really appreciate you sharing that. Obviously, there are still a great deal of unmet needs um, when it comes to diagnosing sepsis. And I just wondered if you could kind of um, talk a little bit about the the current um, unmet needs and um, and what your company is doing to address those. I think it's a great question. It really builds on the last one and what influenced my career path. When I was in the hospital, this happened after my heart transplant. I got the first multi-drug resistant bacterial infection. And at that point, I knew superficially about hospital-acquired infections. I think most of us have heard of MRSA, mm -hmm. and some people, and that, that number is growing, have heard of sepsis. But quite honestly, I, I didn't know a lot about it, and I got a crash course. And, of course, I was on numerous rounds of broad-spectrum antibiotics to try to deal with these drug-resistant infections that I got post-transplant. But after I had survived this and, and when I had recovered and I went back to work, I started researching this at night and, and really diving into sepsis and trying to understand the causes behind sepsis, why people get bloodstream infections, who's susceptible to these kinds of bloodstream infections. And the deeper I dug, the more troubled I became with the numbers. And at, just at a very high level, sepsis is the number one cost of U.S. hospitalizations. We spend about $62 billion each year within our healthcare system dealing with sepsis. And I mean, this one's really staggering. We lose about 270,000 people in the United States alone and 11 million worldwide due to sepsis every single year. Wow. 270,000 people in the United States die every single year due to sepsis. And those lucky enough to survive, and I'm one of those, often face the occurrence of sepsis, rehospitalization due to sepsis, and somewhere between 15 and 18,000 people risk amputation, fingers or limbs. And when I looked at the current standard of care, which really relies on two things. One is blood culture. We draw blood, we send it down to the microbiology lab to grow the culture, the fungi or the bacteria. And that typically takes one to five days, two to three on average. And at the same time, clinicians treat the patients with empiric probability-based protocols and deliver antifungals or antibiotics. And studies show that those probability-based protocols are only optimal sometime between 30 and 60% of the cases. 
So that's a little better or a little worse than a coin toss, depending on which side you're on. And sitting here in 2021, it is the antithesis of precision medicine. So if this were a case where science hadn't caught up with this particular issue, we would have to wait until science and technology catches up. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the technology is there to do better. And and I think the most important part of sepsis is it's a race against time in the detection of these sepsis-causing pathogens. Because for every hour of delayed targeted treatment, the mortality risk increases by up to 8%. Wow. So those statistics and those numbers, they're really troubling. And when I looked at companies that could make a difference, and this really led to me making a change and joining T2 in early 2020, T2 Biosystems has the only technology that can detect these sepsis-causing pathogens directly from blood in three to five hours without the need to wait days for a positive blood culture. So we have the ability to impact patient care by getting patients on targeted therapy much faster. And again, if you go back to for every hour of delayed targeted treatment, mortality risk increases by 8%, our products can really make a difference and we think they're game changers. Are you digging this conversation? We know you are, but perhaps you wanna hear a little bit more about the medical device and diagnostics industry. Well, you can do that by simply going to mddionline.com. That's mddionline.com. The medical device and diagnostic industry is a resource exclusively for original equipment manufacturers of medical devices and in vitro diagnostic products. The goal of MDDI is to help industry professionals develop, design, and manufacture medical products that comply with complex and demanding regulations and market requirements. It's also a great place to find all of our content. You can find articles about the industry. You can find these podcasts. Yes, we even host these podcasts so you can catch up on hearing more of my lovely voice. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, But you can definitely hear our podcast uh, from the team and you can check out some of our content. And it's just a great place to connect with the industry and see what's happening in medical devices and diagnostics. And now back to our conversation. So tell me, John, what is one message that you hope your readers will take away from Courage? Well, if it's okay with you, I would love to convey both a call to action as well as a message. Sure. Yep, that's great. So the call to action, and again, if we go back to the first question you asked me, what inspired me to share my personal story? In addition to honoring my donor, I wanted to raise awareness about organ donation and the importance of it, as well as the awareness of the signs of sepsis. And so I would urge people to get educated about organ donation, and I would encourage people to register as an organ donor. A 16-year-old young man made that decision a number of years ago, and that decision saved my life, and I'm certain of that. And then the second is to be aware of the signs of sepsis. And And there's a nice acronym around these signs of sepsis. It's TIME, T-I-M-E, stands for temperature, infection, mental decline, and extreme illness. These are the signs of sepsis, and to really pay attention to those, because it can be as simple as getting a cut on your finger in your garden that can lead to a bloodstream infection, become septic, and lead to death. And so it's important for people to be aware of these signs. As far as messages are concerned, 
I think that we're in an environment where people are faced with all kinds of adversity, particularly during this COVID pandemic. And so my message is really around dealing with adversity. And I say this in the book that, that I recently launched. By the way, we launched it on my heart donor's birthday, March 30th. Oh, wow. It's not what happens to <laughs> Thank you. We really chose that date carefully. So it's not what happens to you. It's who you choose to become as a result of what happens to you that ultimately defines who you are and dictates the level of success that you'll achieve. And I think that's a really important message and the one message out of the book that should really resonate with people uh, during this pandemic. I talked about the second half of the book being these, these principles, if you will, or keys to success. And I found them to be invaluable, whether it is in sports growing up, in business, in school, or in life. And, and I'll just frame them for you and, and perhaps for the audience. I built these five principles around an acronym that stands for HEART, H-E-A-R-T. And the H stands for hard work. The E stands for excellence. The A stands for attitude. The R for resilience, which we just talked about. And the T for teamwork. And one that I would really underscore besides adversity, which we, which we mentioned, is attitude. And I always tell people the coolest thing about attitude is that it's a choice. You wake up every single day and you have the opportunity to choose your attitude. And I think we've all been in situations where a person walks into the building or walks into the room with an attitude that lights up the entire room. I mean, it just raises the, the, the attitude in the entire room across all the people that are in it. And we've also been in scenarios where we've seen a person come in with a terrible attitude mm -hmm. and just suck the life out of a room. Toxic. And if you believe in the notion that it's, that it's, yeah, exactly. And if you believe in the notion that it's choice and you understand that it's contagious, why on earth wouldn't you choose a positive attitude? Yeah. And I'll give you an example of this. So imagine I was in the cardiac surgical intensive care unit for 55 days. I had three surgeries, major surgeries in my first four days. On my fourth day, I was diagnosed with this very rare disorder that's been diagnosed 300 times in medical history. It typically causes death in four months. So I had an extremely grave diagnosis. I was put on life support day four. I made a choice, which is extremely rare, to stay awake while I was on life support so that I could be an engaged patient. So imagine that scenario and imagine me laying in a bed. They pulled the breathing tube. I'm connected to devices that are keeping me alive. All my blood's coming out of my body on the life support system. I'm on a constant transfusion. The blood's being reoxygenated. And the nurses come into my room at 7 o'clock in the morning for the shift change. And they say, how are you doing, Mr. Skrizzle? And I say, awesome. Wow. Can you imagine the reaction that they have? And I did that not to be a superhero, not to, to be fake, but the will to live the will to succeed, attitude is such an important part of it, and, and it's contagious. And I knew that if they saw me with that kind of attitude, fighting for my life, but also being positive, they're going to work twice as hard to save my life. Yeah. And I think if it works to save your life, imagine what it could do for you day to day. 
Absolutely. I have a 13-year-old son, and I can't wait to share the uh, choose your attitude um, message with him. I think that that's gonna that's gonna um, hopefully go go far. I think that's um, something that I'll probably be repeating to him uh, many many times over the next few years. So here's what I would suggest: just like everything else, it's habit form. So if you do this experience with your son or this experiment with your son, try it on Monday. Have him choose his attitude Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. By Friday, I bet it's habit for me. Yep. It doesn't take long for something like that to become a habit. And you start also noticing other people's attitudes around you. And you'll start to notice how if you walk down the hall, you walk into a store and somebody asks you, how are you? I mean, sometimes they're just doing it out of habit as well. But pick a word that works for you. It's awesome, tremendous, terrific, whatever it is. And you'll see the reaction that people have with that kind of a positive choice. It's really pretty awesome. Tell our listeners uh, where they can get a copy of, of Courage. Thank you very much for having me. The book is available on Amazon. It's available as a hardcover, a paperback, Kindle, as well as audiobook. And I did the audio recording myself. So if people want to hear the book of my voice, that's a great way to experience it.